It's so unacceptable to have nearly 40 million people and you know, many of them children hungry in this country. You know, you just go, really? Right. And then the, the food waste and what's happening you know, to our planet is just really worrisome. We have to step up. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. A couple of things that I think most of us could agree on that here in this country, hunger and food waste are unacceptable, but they both exist. Some people are trying to make a difference in that, and I'm really happy to greet one of those people today, and their organization is right in the middle of all of this, of trying to address the situation where there's food wasted and there are people hungry. And Carol Shattuck, I want to welcome you to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here with you. Carol, you are fortunate enough to be able to help people with an organization that is, is making a huge difference. If I read it right, you're responsible for feeding like an extra 70 million or so people, some, some huge, huge number. That must feel good. I mean, some people, I think, wake up in the morning saying, gee, what did I get accomplished this week? But you can feel you're part of an organization that there was food being wasted that's not being wasted and people being fed that weren't getting fed, that must feel good. It feels great. And uh, and you've got it absolutely right to get up in the morning and know that you're going to do something that day that's going to help a lot of people. However, the flip side of that coin is you think about the people who you're not able to reach. And so it drives you all the more to do to do more and try to reach more people. Yeah, I'm going to reverse the tables here because I've got a good story to tell you because this just past weekend, I'm so proud my granddaughter, who's 10 years old, and her friend hosted a little Christmas in July party in our front yard under a shade tree, and they promoted on, you know, online and everything. And they gave away uh, cookies and lemonade for people that would bring canned goods for the food bank. And they ended up in a couple of hours um, collecting 150 cans and $120 in cash. And when we're through with this call, I'm picking her up and we're taking them to the food bank. That's and, a wonderful story. Oh. Especially for, the, for young and 10 years old is very young. To have them be involved in giving back at that early age is a wonderful thing. And they'll carry that with them forward, I believe. Well, you know what I also felt not only good about them, but the other um, grandparents and and parents around the neighborhoods brought their own kids and they had the kids come up with, um, with a couple cans and set them on the table before they get a cookie and a lemonade. And so, you know, it did feel, feel great to be able to be doing that. So that's one, that's one of the things that with our model. So we're rescuing food uh, that's being donated to us and delivering it to social service agencies that feed the food insecure. And we hear from so many of our rescuers that they bring their kids with them and what an of all ages. And what an important lesson that is 
uh, for kids to learn at a very early age about giving back and what that means. And, and also a lot of our food rescuers are seeing places in their communities that they've never gone to before. They're seeing some of these social service agencies that are doing amazing work. And so they're making connections. And we always say we're building communities and a really good community is where you really understand all the, all the components of it. So, so that's a wonderful story about your granddaughter. But now we got to tell the story about your organization. So we've we've been talking about the um, the verb, not the noun. I mean, we, we've been saying, okay, here's what, here's our things you're doing, but you're doing it as a part of an organization. Explain that organization, if you would. Absolutely. So Food Rescue US was founded ten years ago. This is our tenth year anniversary. We were founded actually under another name, Community Plates founded in Connecticut, in Norwalk, Connecticut, by two guys, two friends who came together and, and looked at the two crises of food insecurity and food waste. And they said, well, there's got to be something we can do. And one of the founders is a tech guy. He was a tech, is a tech guy. But he said, well, I think we can use technology. We could use, we can create an app that will connect a lot of this excess surplus food with the agencies that are serving the people who are food insecure. And let's use volunteers to pick up the food and deliver it. So that was their, you know, in some ways rather simple idea, but but key to it was creating, using technology to make it work. So they created uh, one of the first apps, if not the first app in the food recovery space that would actually make this platform work and this triangle of food donors, volunteers, and social service agencies come together. And so that was a very beginning 10 years ago. It started, you know, like every great idea, most great ideas, it started small. And then, um, but always with the idea that there were two missions. And if you could take a, a bad, which is food waste, which when it, when it ends up in landfill, as you well know, it creates uh, methane gas and other greenhouse gases that do really bad things to our environment, help a major contributor to global warming. So take that surplus food before it gets to the landfill and do good with it by feeding the food insecure. And we're because we're direct transfer, so we don't have warehouses, so we're not taking the food, rescuing the food from the donors and putting it in a warehouse and and then getting to it, you know, a few days later or whatever, it goes directly from A to B. And so a lot of that food is fresh food, produce, vegetables, fruits, uh, and other things that much of it gets consumed that very same day. So they took this concept and ran with it in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And then over time, people started hearing about it and reaching out and saying, well, I'd like to learn more. And could we do that in our community? And, and what would we have to do to, to uh, launch a site? And so, and I can talk about some of the steps along the way, but you fast forward to today and we're uh, operational in 32 locations in 20 states in the District of Columbia. And we hear from people all the time. And we've just had two uh, press uh, media segments in the New York Times. Uh, and one was talking about nine ways to make a difference. And number two is rescue food. And they profiled us as in the example. So we heard from a lot of people. So, you know, it's a, it's a good story because you think about 
two people who said, let's do something about this. I know. I know. Isn't it exciting, though, that, that you can we can point to those examples that somebody just said, let's do something? Because I think that that's one of the other things that I hear from people well-intentioned that think, gee, I wish I could help. I feel bad about this going on. Right. Um, one thing I've noticed more and more is that at our local supermarket, you can choose to check off a couple dollars. Right. You know, the people in need and, and, um, an awful lot of people do, do that, that, that didn't exist for them before. So right. people are, you know, have an appetite to help, if you will, that, that, um, this gives them a chance to do that. I, I explain that let's, let's take a spot. I don't know. We could take Connecticut, but if you take a, a place, but they, they somehow identify, um, food that, uh, that needs to be distributed that that's available. Right. And so it goes into the app and then, uh, food banks and institutions and others access it and, and see that, Oh, this food is available. And they, they make a connection online. Right. So what happens through our technology, through our app, uh, we have a site director in every location. And so the site director basically would, let's say you're starting a whole new location someplace in right. ABC city. So, and someone raises their hand and says, well, I'd like to start a location here. So what we often, what we always say is basically you could start it with food one, with one food donor. So let's say you get your local grocery store, you've got one or two, you know, food donors and they say, okay, we have surplus food three times a week. And this is the types of food that we have. And this is the quantity. So then that goes in uh, to the app. Then uh, you find a social service agency that's, that's feeding the food insecure. And sadly, that's not hard to find. I mean, it's a good thing that it's not hard to find, but the sad thing is that there is so much food insecurity everywhere, every community. And then you have to go find, let's say you go find five or six of your friends or people that you know to register as a volunteer mm -hmm. uh, rescuer. So then once they're registered, they can go into the app and they can look at the upcoming rescues. So let's say it's from a Trader Joe's to um, the local shelter for veterans. So that name would be in there. It would say what day, what time, the window that you would pick it up and where you would take it to. So you would then say, I'll claim that rescue and I'm responsible for doing that. And there is a way to adopt it and say, okay, every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, I will do the rescue like in my community King Supermarket, uh, I think they still do every Wednesday at 10. And it usually goes to uh, goes to one of the local agencies in our community. So it's actually once the information gets into the app, the volunteer rescuers can basically, they self-manage their rescues. And the site director and our, our tech team keeps an eye on, uh, and we have all kinds of reminders. So for instance, every night at six o'clock, in my community or our county, I will get a list of these are the rescues that are open tomorrow. And often they're none, but there might be one. And so we do across our overall platform about 5,000 rescues a month. So think about that. I mean, think about, you know, that's a lot of activity yeah. in our app. So we're, we're, we're building new features. Actually, we just launched the third generation of our app. And it took over a year 
And we basically were going to fix version two. And then our CTO, who happens to be a volunteer, which is a whole other story, wonderful story. But he said, you know what? We should start from, let's start over and, and do it 100% right from the beginning. So we launched that in, while well, the pandemic was still going, it started in December and we launched all of our sites in January. And now we're already starting to add new features to make it more uh, user-friendly to engage our volunteers, to engage all of our stakeholders. But it's really, once the information is in there, then if this ABC location, so then they get another food donor and maybe they get three more food donors. So that information goes in there. Uh, the site directors figures out which social service agency can take, they match who can take that amount of food on that given day and they make a match wow. and it works. Yeah. Now what share of it would be coming from grocery stores or supermarkets? Right. So uh, some of it depends on the location because every location is a little bit different. Now, most of them, like let's talk about Miami, which is you know just an amazing uh, site for us, been operational a little over three years and they just did amazing work. They did amazing work during the pandemic, but they've been doing a lot of relief work after the Surfside condominium collapse. And so they've had uh, a lot of relationships with restaurants because Miami obviously is has a lot of restaurants and sure. the tourism business was really big, but they also have a number of grocery stores. And so I would say between uh, restaurants, grocery stores, it depends on the location. I'd say in Miami, it's probably, it might be almost 50%, but then we also do uh, large events. So actually just to use Miami again, they rescued over 40,000 pounds from the Super Bowl in February of 2020, just before the pandemic hit, uh, which was at the um, Hard Rock Stadium. Mm -hmm. So they were able to do that. So we can scale up, we can scale down. We're very flexible and nimble. It can be a small site that has, you know, two two restaurants, and most of our sites aren't that small. But so it's a mix. Now, do you get any from farmers direct? So we do some gleaning. Some of the locations do more gleaning than others. We do some from farmers. Now, what we did do, uh, you've probably heard about the during the pandemic, the USDA Farmers to Families Food Box Program, which was, I mean, the taxpayers paid mm -hmm. for it. We all paid for it. It was a massive program to distribute food uh, through the food panel and it was primarily the distributors who, who distribute so much of the food directly from the farmers. So the distributors were getting the food from the farmers, and then they were distributing it out to nonprofits like Food Rescue US. We, I think about 11 of our locations did massive distributions of food that initially came from the farmers. I mean, literally a truck would pull up, a semi would pull up, and they would unload boxes. And these were, some of these were real, quite small locations, but they figured out how to do it. Oh. So, uh, and we also also have just started uh, a national food donation program where we are, uh, we hired someone who is looking more deeply at how can we get direct access to some of the 
either large farms or some of the distributors who are who are receiving the waste from the are receiving the food from the farms. Now, at supermarkets or grocery stores, um, they usually have a uh, best sell by dates. They're on it. Is that kind of the trigger point that when it's hit, they're sell by? Uh, yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, every grocery—I don't say every grocery store—but they they do it differently. So we have relationships with some a large chain who they actually plan to have food left over to distribute and in their community because they want to be involved in their community and they want to help and and you know we're picking up every day and it's beautiful food it's food that you or I would go in and purchase there are others that you know we may get uh, you know apples or peaches that aren't quite as beautiful as they were on the first day. Sure. And so they're, you know, they're turning them over and, and, uh, and donating those, but the food is, is excellent. But I mean, there has to be some that they just, they say too, it's getting close. I mean, so some people, you know, are saying, but then, and, and if that's the case, you probably have, you have to be sure it moves fairly quick too. Exactly. You know. And so that's why our direct transfer system works. You know, we can be there in the morning. We can have it at the agency, you know, by noon. Maybe they're using it for lunch. Maybe they use it for dinner. So, um, so it, you know, it definitely cuts down on, on uh, a lot of food waste. And I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, still some food waste out there. Yeah. Yeah, there obviously is because you can't get to everything at the right time, but. Well, you know, it's uh, uh, and then there's so much waste you can't get to that actually happens in people's homes. Yeah, because they had good intentions and they brought all this and they and they almost over purchase. Yeah, and bring it home and put it in the refrigerator and then it starts growing mold because they just didn't get it used up and right. and throw it away. And there's some shocking percentage that goes yeah. into refrigerators that still is wasted. So, I I know that to be the case. What about protein? Uh, are there, uh, can, uh, can meats also be included in this? Right. So we'll often get chicken and meat and, you know, it usually is frozen. And again, because of our uh, direct transfer model, you know, we're moving it. It's the way we look at it in, in almost all cases, it's like if you or I went to the grocery store and bought chicken or beef or whatever, and drove it home and put it in the refrigerator most of our rescues can happen in 15 to 20 minutes. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot like just yourself going shopping and, and bringing it home. We're not going long, long distances. Yeah. Well, I started this out with my little story of the Christmas in July and canned goods. Canned goods often find their way directly into food banks because of, of storage. So I would imagine that there, there are many of the pres preserved products aren't usually part of your distribution, are they? And not so much. We really are looking for the, the types of food, the fresh food that isn't easily accessible mm -hmm. uh, to a lot of the food insecure and the types of foods that are critical to development, especially in kids. And as you well know, there are millions of food insecure children in, in our country and around the world, but in our country, we're talking about. So, you know, the focus on healthy food is, is, is not that canned goods aren't healthy and aren't critically important, but, uh, but you know, it's what our focus is. 
Well, your program is Food Rescue U.S., but I suspect there must be something similar in Food Rescue Canada and Australia. And uh, are there international counterparts? In Europe, in particular, there there's a lot of awareness. There might even, although I will say, I think through the pandemic, there's been a lot more awareness of food insecurity because people saw the long lines and sure. you know, in their in their in their cities or towns where they live, people in line to pick up food. Uh, but they also saw the pictures of uh, food being, you know, milk being dumped or on the farms because they had lost their distribution channel. So I think awareness has grown in this country for both. And the whole climate conversation has definitely, you know, had much more prominence. But I think in Europe in particular, I think they they may have been, may have been a bit ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely organizations over there. And I occasionally will hear from some, but, you know, we're pretty focused on, you know, what we can focus on and where we can make a difference. So if somebody is listening to this and they don't believe they have something set up like that in their community, what do they do? I mean, if, if they're just saying, gee, I wish we could get something and I would help trying to get something like this off the ground. What's the first thing you do? Okay. So they should go to our website, which is foodrescue.us. And uh, there's a place there where they can leave a message or they can send a message to info at foodrescue.us and uh, and someone will get back to them. They might not get back to them that day or the next day, but they will hear from somebody. And so, for instance, the press that I mentioned that we've uh, that we recently received, we received, I think, over 250 uh, pieces, you know, people reaching out, wanting to learn more. And we've, you know, we're having conversations with them. We're getting to all of them. But, you know, we have a pretty lean uh, team at the national uh, staff. So we're not getting to them all immediately. But absolutely, we love to talk to people who are interested in starting a location. And that's, I mean, the conversations are, are you know, really impactful. And the other thing that we do, it's not just individuals. So about half of our locations are run by other 501c3s or other entities that are either in the food recovery space or want to get into it. They may be doing something you know uh, that's similar, but not quite food rescue and food recovery. So we actually uh, license them our technology, our app, and we'll help them as much as they want. But we have some amazing partners uh, doing amazing work around the country and they're part of our overall movement and platform. And so we meet with them regularly. And then we have the, the group that are of uh, sites that are run by individuals. And we, you know, we help them more. We have a playbook of how to start, excuse me, how to launch a location. You know, we have a team that will support them as much as we can to get up and running. Well, you have a team, um, and I assume that uh, you have volunteers, but you've got some of your team have to be on salary too. How do yeah. you how do you raise money to keep this organization afloat? That's a good question. So we have a really fabulous development team. So we do it like most organizations. We write a lot of grants. We've been very successful at receiving funds from grantors around the country. Uh, we have individuals who've supported us and support specific locations as well. So, for instance, the Surfside Condominium, a lot of people reached out and wanted to help our site there respond to the, to the disaster there. 
And then we do events, although we haven't done an event in quite a while. We're probably going to do an event this fall. Uh, but because of the pandemic, that obviously changed that. But we had, and this is what's so gratifying about our country, I believe. Uh, it's an incredibly philanthropic country that we live in. People, as we talked about, people do want to help. And doing something, getting in your car and doing a rescue is one way. But uh, donating dollars is really important. And most people understand that it takes money to maintain a team, our small, mighty team, and our technology, as I think most people would recognize, technology is an expensive uh, undertaking, especially if you're going to do it well and you're going to keep it updated. So we have costs. But last year was the, our biggest year financially. And that's just so gratifying. And it also... Our, it was also our biggest year in terms of donating meals. We donated over 19 million meals. And this was when at the beginning of the pandemic, we're like, we didn't know how this was all going to play out for us because we thought, what if all of our food donors, if that dries up, because we saw grocery stores being pressured you know, by individuals, the restaurants, many restaurants were closing. The events were closing. We also have a lot of corporate dining facilities that donate food to us. There obviously wasn't a Super Bowl. So, you know, we were worried. And so we pivoted and started some new programs. But meanwhile, at the very beginning, as a grocery store might be closing or better a story, a restaurant, they called us and say, we have to, cl we're closing for those foreseeable future. Can you come and take everything out of our freezer? Absolutely. So we had a surge and then it sort of calmed down. But then we started uh, three programs. We started a restaurant meal program where we actually were at a very low cost buying some meals that we were donating because we needed to get more meals, more food into the mix. Mm -hmm. And then we had community kitchens and there's some amazing stories of a couple of corporations in particular that I'm thinking of where they sent all their workers home, but they wanted to keep their kitchen staff working. So they paid them to make meals that yeah. we donated. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And then we did the uh, farmers to families food boxes, which was a major effort for us. So, uh, so we ended up having a, a really significant year, which means our impact, which is what it's all about. Well, you know what? This, this is just a great story. And it reminds me that there's people that can be listening to this. Like I've already said, some are going to say, how can I help? And you've given them an idea where they can look to see where they are in the core scheme of things. And then I want to be sure that people step up. There's other people listening to this. that are going to say, I want to be Carol. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. you know, I mean, there are people that uh, you keep running into people say, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. How did you get into this this role. Uh, give us a give us a short picture of the Carol story. Okay, well, that's a that's an interesting question. So, um, let's see. I've been in the not for profit world for almost twenty years, and I grew up living abroad. My father was in the foreign service, so from a very early age, I was exposed to places in this world that are nowhere like the United States, and I saw an awful lot. And then my husband and I lived abroad with our kids. Uh, we lived in Indonesia and Saudi Arabia, so we saw a lot. But then when we came back, I re-entered the workforce. I'd worked right out of college. And 
pretty immediately gravitated towards the not-for-profit world. I like mission-driven organizations. So uh, the the longest time that I spent was was with an organization called AmeriCares, and it's a global emer- a global health emergency response organization, which is at, actually headquartered in Connecticut, and uh, and I held a variety of senior level positions there. And it was, I mean, I went to Haiti right after the 2010 earthquake on our first airlift. I went to Sri Lanka after the tsunami. So I saw, you know, I was able to do a lot. And so after 13 years, it was time to move on. And and I was asked to go on the board of Community Plates, which then became Food Rescue US. So I said, okay, you know, that that sounds great. And I can talk about my passion for, for helping to end hunger and food waste and hopefully that comes through. But in the middle, I went on the board, and then this is just kind of an interesting thing. I, through a friend, was approached to be the chief operating officer of the Invictus Games that were held in Orlando in 2016. Mm-hmm. Invictus Games were founded by Prince Harry. And so for a year and a half, I I I worked really, really hard on that. And that was amazing. You know, the games were they were a bit of a blur, but seeing veterans, men and women, and active service people with both invisible injuries and uh, injuries external, seeing them do these this competition was incredibly inspiring. Yeah. So then that ended and I came home and uh, I was on the board of what then became Food Rescue US. And they, the board asked me, uh, if I would step in on an interim basis and be the CEO because the CEO was uh, moving out. And I said, I really thought about it because I was coming off a really intense time. And I said, okay, I'll do it on an interim. And I kid you not, like day five, I came home to my husband and you're on the board. So you know a lot, but you don't really know, right. you know what's going on day to day. I came home on like day five and I said to my husband, oh my gosh, we have the opportunity to yeah, we're doing amazing work and we have the opportunity to to really scale this and do something even more special. So I got really excited. And that was about three years ago. So And you're still just, excited. Yeah, I am still excited. So now one more final thing before we wrap up. Yeah. What's going to make you excited about the next three to five years? Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it's really scaling it, replicating it. Because if you have a really good idea and you've got people who respond to that idea and want to help, and the reality is, as you said, it's so unacceptable to have nearly 40 million people and you know, many of them children hungry in this country. I mean, it's just, you know, you just go, really? Right. And then the the food waste and what's happening, you know, to our planet uh, is just really worrisome. Those of us, you have grandkids. Uh, I have a grandson who lives in California also. And so we just, we have to step up and we have to do it for ourselves, but we have to do it for our kids and our grandkids. So, you know, whatever I can do to continue to, with the wonderful team at, uh, around the country and at our national organization that are working on this, that can do something to promote it and grow it, then, then, then that's worth every ounce of energy. 
Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm one of those people that wants to praise your energy investment here because it's, uh, uh, it's, it's really tremendous what you're doing. It's making a difference and you're inspiring other people and you're inspiring people here today on Farm to Table Talk. And so, Carol Shattuck, I want to thank you for being my guest on Farm to Table Talk today. Thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter or go to iTunes to subscribe and give us a review and a rating. Thanks for listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Roger Wasson.